2: Blackfoot connect to more. If we do it again,
0: I'm going to freak out. If we do it again, I'm going to freak out. If we do it again,
1: I'm going to freak out. Hour number two. It's two tell nuances, one or nine ESPN radio, SWX Montana television. If you missed anything in hour number one, Check it out on the podcast. The 2 to Nuwana's podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Rate, review, subscribe. You could go ahead and check that out anytime you would like to. The podcast is available thanks to our friends at Opportunity Bank. Nope. Blackfoot Communications. Opportunity Bank. We'll get to them in just a moment. Blackfoot Communications. Responsible for the podcast. which You can listen to anytime that you would like to. Uh, you can also go ahead and check out the Grizz Greats podcast series. Grizz Greats. It's available all the time as well. Eight episodes now out. Another one coming out this week uh, uh, highlighting the 1995 National Championship that was brought to Missoula by the University of Montana Grizzly football team, the first in the school's history and a really, really fun podcast series that we've been doing. Thanks to Blackfoot Communications for that as well. Uh, If you would like to give us a call, 361-3688 is the phone number. You can text that phone number as well. All guests join us via the Rankin Brothers RV phone line. And yes, indeed. If you would like to listen live, you go to the website, 1029ESPN.com. You check out the stream. It's up all the time. Obviously, you get the show in the afternoons, Mountain Standard Time. The stream is available thanks to Opportunity Bank of Montana. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Coulter, the uh, uh, weekend that was in the NFL, very, very uh, interesting. And I thought that we got. Obviously, some upsets, maybe some games that were surprises, not just in terms of the winners, but in the way that the, the, the games happen. I think the game, I think the game that was most surprising to me was Denver's victory over New England and Foxborough. I, I thought they had no chance. I Not I, only because I think the Patriots are that good as much as the, the Denver's just got nothing. Right yeah. Now. But they got people back. I mean, you know, Jerry Judy. Uh, was 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 back in this game. He didn't really do much, though, did he? Eh, not really. But Drew Locke did, and he played well in this in 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 this game. But also, Denver's defense. I mean, Denver's. I think what did they? Denver kicked like five or six, six field, field goals, goals in this football game, and just held New England at complete bay. And for all the talk about Cam Newton and and. You know what he is and how he has been just sort of overlooked and nobody really knows why I mean you're coming off an injury but a lot of guys come off injury it's still Cam Newton man and he's he's got all of that but I thought you saw the worst of Cam Newton on Sunday I mean I thought you saw a guy who the knocks that he's had over his career of, of missing some throws of having you know of not being able to deliver at times were on full display and also just the knock of the New England Patriots was you still don't have anybody to actually throw the football to I mean who it, it, it you know it's Julian Edelman who's a hundred and who else you know I mean nobody they got a nice stable of running backs and you know generally that they have they're diverse enough offensively to to sort of make it work but it's not it's not going right now and are they are they two and two and three two and three first time after week six
0: that they've been below 500 so, in the Bill Belichick era.
1: Here's my first question for you. Yep. Where are you at on the New England Patriots? Are they actually only mediocre? Or is this a team that once again does its thing for the first month, maybe six weeks this year, you know, trying to figure it out without Tom Brady and all that of the season and then is going to come on? Or are there is there, is this a real problem right now?
0: Well, the fact that they're missing uh, so many key guys that decided to opt out Defensively, I mean, they were like borderline historically good defensively last year. I mean, I think they gave up like 11 points per game. It was one of the lowest points per game totals since the merger, it was just completely and utterly overshadowed by the Tom Brady implosion and how bad the offense was and losing to the Dolphins in the season finale and not making a playoff run for the first time in forever. You know, quarterbacks and coaches get the headlines. That's how how it goes. But they're really good personnel-wise defensively. Yeah. But when you don't have your best linebacker, Donta Hightower, who's one of the best linebackers in the NFL, that hurts. When you don't have Danny Shelton, who is absolutely your best interior guy, that hurts. And then when Stephon Gilmore, who... If he's not the best corner in the league, he's one of the best corners in the league. When he tests positive for COVID, then all of a sudden that's out. And and I think that it's been not just the removal of, I mean, the two most important players on this team offensively, offense is Cam Newton, defense is Stephon Gilmore. You take both those guys out of the lineup in varying weeks because of COVID, that kills you, but it's more the... The uncertainty and the lack of preparation that those guys have, and the way it puts all your lineups in in flux and stuff like that, more than actually just missing those players, because Gilmore did play, but you could tell he was rusty, and they they're just they're not in sync. But the other thing is that they've their offensive line has never gotten enough credit, and their offensive line is not very good now. Mm. now that is a huge issue for them. And the thing about Denver is, you know, no Von Miller, they lost Eric Wolf in the offseason. But they still have good players. I mean, yeah. Shelby Harris is good. Bradley Chubb could
1: be great. I mean, he looks really good. Bradley Chubb is coming into his own in, in basically was supposed to be opposite Vaughn Miller, but is filling the Vaughn Miller role as well as you could ever ask anybody to.
0: And you want to know who seriously is the one of the most underrated players in the league? Drew Locke. Kareem Jackson. Kareem mm-hmm. Jackson, the strong safety for the Denver Broncos, is awesome.
1: Locke looked better, man. He did look better. He did. I mean, he... He's he's He is a developing good quarterback. But, I mean, that's all you want, right? He's seven games into his career. Here's where I'm at. Here, here's what I thought about New England, though. They had all this, this COVID stuff going on, and their facility was shut down in the morning, and then it's open in the afternoon, and then it's shut down the next day, and, and on and on. They have stuff moved back. They're missing their quarterback a week ago. This looked to me like a team that, for as much as we – You know, praise Bill Belichick for his preparation and getting his guys ready to go that had no semblance of a structure or a schedule to prepare themselves to play the way they ordinarily would and it looked like it threw them off. Now, I want to overlay that. That's
0: the whole thing, right? Like... They are required to be at the facility more than any other team in the league. Like, they have nap rooms for the guys so that they can stay on premise for longer. And so, when if you can't be in the premise, on premises, you can't prepare. What's it going to
1: take for us to get a nap room? Oh,
0: man. I t- already told our boss many times, man. I don't ever want a desk. Just give me a pull Just out. a
1: little thing. Bed. Isn't there an office episode? Somebody got one on, you know, under the guy that George and uh, one of the old Seinfelds had a little uh, deal under his, his uh, office when he was a uh, worker. No idea. Never watched it. Of course, that's why you're so happy. (laughs) Um, All right. So, uh, but I want to overlay that the New England team with the Tennessee Titans because I thought last week when the Titans played the Bills, I thought it was a no brainer for Buffalo because of how Buffalo had been rolling, and I thought Tennessee, though they had had rest and hadn't played or whatever, also hadn't been at the facility. The thing was closed down. They weren't able to practice. They weren't able to. And they They still practice though. Well, I shouldn't laugh, but they did. It's just so unsurprising for yeah. uh, Mike Vrabel. In any case, the point is, but they didn't actually. I mean, it's the difference between being together and practicing and a couple guys going down to the, to the the high school field or whatever. Point is, they came out and rolled the Buffalo Bills, who, by the way, are losing twenty to ten at this very moment as we've just wrapped up the third quarter. Uh, the a, a touchdown by Clyde Edwards Hilaire giving. Now I've heard. I'm so lost because Joe Buck, who I trust very much, absolutely said, huh, Hilaire. But last week, Jim Nance, who I also trust very much, explicitly said the H is silent, said it out loud. So I don't know how to say Clyde Edwards huh, or Hilaire.
0: Is this is this a rising trend? The, the guys the, switch the, it up the, on you? The most money play-by-play guys in the, in the world get this stuff wrong? Like no, Mike, Mike Breen called Gordon Hayward Gordon Haywood for the duration of the Eastern Conference Finals. i would never heard anything like it. He called him Gordon Haywood. Now, I didn't notice that. Over and over no, and over no, and over and, over
1: and over again. What I think it is, honestly, is because there's no question that question number one that you ask a guy, especially with a hyphenated last name like that, is tell me the pronunciation. Give it all to me. You know what I think? I think he's answering it different for fun. That's what I think. But well, in any a, case, it does so, and
0: sometimes get people I mean it's it's actually kind of odd to me how a lot of times people say we well, can say however you want. Right. Like there's a lot of people you ask them, That's how right. do you say your name? And they're like, Well, I don't know, my grandma says it like this, and blah blah blah. Yeah. Like Fallon yeah. Frigi, right? Remember Montez say women's basketball player? Frigi. Yeah. She's yeah, like, Well, my yeah. grandma says it this way, my dad says it this way. It's like the Monty Monte ball thing, right? Wisconsin yeah. mount, mounted an entire Heisman campaign for this kid, calling him by the wrong first name.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, in any case, but I want to go. I want to stick on the Titans for a second. Yeah, because they because they did the thing that New England completely didn't do. That they were absolutely up and ready to go. And then their win last week, you know, yesterday was like, I mean, pulling the cat out of the bag, man. Where they go down and they score on the last play of regulation, and then you know are able to kick a you know the extra point to to, to get it in when they're everybody's criticizing now Romeo Cornell for going for two instead of kicking an extra point when they scored a touchdown, which would have been an eight point lead. Who knows if Tennessee is able to punch it in? They do have, I think, his name's Derrick Henry, and he's pretty good. Uh, and so, but I, I'm, I'm really, I mean, obviously, who who isn't impressed with this Tennessee team right at this very moment? It's
0: so difficult to build true culture in the NFL, but you could argue that in if. if There's several different types of culture you can build. The Seahawks have built a very distinct culture. The Niners have built a very distinct culture. A lot of times, though, the culture, which most teams in the league gravitate towards, is just professionalism. Just be a pro, come to work every day, get it done. It's the New England Patriots-Pittsburgh Steelers model. Get your job done, take care of your 20 square feet. It's very rare you can get a guy like Pete Carroll to coach like he does and have it work in the NFL, but they do it in Seattle. And part of it's because they got a quarterback who's all about it too. Not my style, but I get it. Mike Brabel is my style. Pure and utter irreverence. What? Now
1: what? Now I mean, this feels like a script flip. You, you've been hating I, I, on Brabel forever and ever. I know,
0: I know, and now I started watching it and now I started really paying attention, really delving into it. You could say on the surface, okay, they had to go to overtime against a, a one-win Texans team. Maybe they're not that great. To me, the Texans were playing with house money this week more than any other team in the entire NFL. They went 0-4, they got rid of their disease of a coach, their cancer of a coach, and they had a good win to get back to get into the win column for the first time. And they were just going to let it rip. And I thought that they were going to continue to let it rip. And I thought that the Titans were or that the Texans were going to win this game. But when you start reading I was reading about Vrabel on the athletic last night. And when you realize the way he treats his players, the way he empowers his players. Uh, from a completely different angle than a guy like Pete Carroll. It's a a us-against-the-world attitude of irreverence. I read this fascinating article about the last two years, his clock management and how he commits penalties on purpose to save seconds because he knows that time is worth more than yardage. So, like, he'll send a 12th man onto the field on defense on purpose to make the clock stop so that he doesn't have to use timeouts, and so then when you break it down, what they did in that game—that's why they had the ball last. That's why they were able to force overtime. That's why they were able to score with four seconds to go because he put an extra man on the field three different times. And you could say it's it's uh, cheap, but if you're maximizing your own understanding of the rules and using it to your as a systematic advantage, that's pretty sweet to me. Uh, so we'll see where the Titans go from here. I thought the most- I know where
1: they go from here. Is where they go from it's here. It's a
0: huge test. The last point I was going to make though is that I thought the most detrimental injury of this entire weekend, Taylor LeWan. was Taylor Lewan Taylor yeah. ACL. I mean, yeah. he's their captain. He's their, I mean, he's their best player, right? I mean,
1: uh, well, I mean, I, I, I
0: don't think he's their most visible player. I mean, he's a first team. I mean, he's first team All Pro left tackle. I mean, he's a top NFL top fifty player every year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. The only thing I don't know is he's been that for a long, long time. Yeah, I don't know how even old is Taylor Lewan right now. Thirties. So, you know, and he's still a, a great player. Is he the best that he's ever been right now? I don't know that he he's is. 29. But significant loss for for the Titans for sure. Uh, that's, that's that's really bad. And they're going to have to figure that out because it's not just Derrick Henry. It's Derrick Henry getting ahead of steam and he gets ahead of steam because that offensive line wins by 1 yard almost every time they snap the football. Uh, and they just, I mean, they just grind teams into dust. Let's talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, though. It's 2-10-1, mm-hmm. 102.90 ESPN Radio. They house the Browns, who we will get to in a moment. Oh, boy. But there are, two un- there are two undefeated teams in the AFC, Pittsburgh and Tennessee. They're playing each other this Sunday. By record, it's a fact, but is it actually the two best teams in the AFC playing each other?
0: Hmm. No, because I still think that the Ravens and the Chiefs are better than the Titans. But that's not to say, I think that, I, I, especially the Chiefs are vulnerable. It's hard to say. In a one-game
1: scenario, the Titans already proved it last year. They that, can beat anybody. Exact, they already beat who? Baltimore right. last year. I mean, it was a huge upset, but they went and did it. And this year, They're, if it was honestly, to happen again, I wouldn't. I don't know if it would be an upset. Here's the, here's the thing. The
0: the biggest the biggest disadvantage, the only disadvantage I think that the Ravens have, is if they fall behind early, they have to control the game. They have to control the clock. They can't be in comeback mode because when they get in a comeback mode, it exploits the only weakness that Lamar Jackson has, and that's like orchestrating sustained drives where he's not just freelancing and out on the run. When they're up ten nothing, they're the most unbeatable team in the league. When they're down ten nothing, they might be in the most trouble of almost anybody in the league. And what do the Titans do? They can get you down seven or ten nothing while grinding the clock, big time. So, if a one game matchup, it's definitely interesting. I have been on Pittsburgh more than any than most people since the beginning of the year. I just think they're elite on defense, and I thought that getting rid of the distractions of the skill players, while they didn't necessarily upgrade from those guys, uh, you know, Antonio Brown, etc., just not having the headache to deal with is definitely a win for their franchise. But the other thing is. I just don't really know what. How do we not know more about Chase Claypool until right now? I mean, the dude is like an unbelievable freak. I mean, he's six four two forty. He ran a four four two flat. He's got a forty one inch vertical at the combine. What was Notre Dame doing with that
1: guy? A lot of people. I don't remember. Do you, you l- remember
0: him in college? I don't remember him in college oh, at yeah. all.
1: Oh yeah, 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 definitely. I also. You never watched. Have you ever watched Notre Dame play a football game in your whole life ever? They had this guy like Tim Brown. Okay. <laughs> so you, you sit here and you have this utter incredulity about never having seen a guy on a team that you've never watched I've play. I've watched so, I mean, you Notre know, Okay. The point is, is that he is uh, he is very good, and you can go and you can talk to me all day long about the, the the combine and all that, and I can show you ten combine guys who got the same measurables and everything that flamed out. So he comes on strong and good for him, and he looks like a very good player and very very real. I can't wait for this football game. I think it's going to be a great game. I think Pittsburgh's going to win it. That's that's my impression right now. Of where I'm at, I think Pittsburgh's better than Tennessee. I'm I I think Tennessee is really. Uh, I don't think they are very good. I don't know if they're elite of the NFL. Good, they beat Pittsburgh. I, I'll have no choice. I'll have no choice left but to go ahead and put. I mean, they already beat Buffalo. I don't know. You know, they, they they found a way to win, you know, you talk about it, whatever you want to say about against yeah, Houston. Yeah. And uh and then if they went in and beat, you know, the team that everybody is on, obviously, an undefeated Pittsburgh team right now, then that would be uh that would be impressive and they would be with Kansas City as the top team in the AFC to me. I'm not ready to take Kansas City off of that spot even though they do have a loss. Um the the thing that and I don't mean for the teams
0: that are doing it, but just from the broad trend of this NFL season so far that is making me the most happy is that the the way that the, the general NFL fandom perceives success and follows football through a fantasy football lens has always been something that I've, I'm a little bit uh, skeptical of and not necessarily a big fan of. When you look at the teams that have the best records in the league, with the exception of the Seattle Seahawks, and the Kansas City Chiefs, all the other teams are doing it in the opposite fashion of what the biggest storylines are this year. We t- On our 12 for the 12 segment that we do every Friday with Mike Dugar, we talked about the trends of scoring right now in the NFL. And there is a ton of teams that are putting up a ton of points, but that's not actually resulting in any of them being that good except the Seahawks. Because, you can go and put up 40 points four weeks in a row and then go get absolutely smacked like the Packers did. You can go put up a million points like the Cowboys and still be sitting there at two and three. You can put up a bunch of points like the Vikings. Where the Vikings, I mean, the Vikings' offense is far from their problem. They're averaging like 30 points per game. They've also given up the most points in the entire National Football League. Well, when the quarterback
1: they, gives the football to the other team three times a right. game, it's harder.
0: But what I'm saying is this is the thing that, uh, that I challenge you and challenge us to get past is it's the easiest thing in football to see when teams are mediocre and or just struggle on offense. It's the easiest thing to see. It doesn't mean you can't win in the NFL. We keep saying the Bears suck. I watched the whole Bears game. The Bears don't suck. The Bears absolutely suck on offense. But that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because they're very good on defense. Because if you know how to manage it, that's the thing we want to believe because the Titans don't have any game breakers at receiver. They don't have any dudes who you would start on your fantasy football team that's going to catch a pass. But that doesn't matter. They know how to manage the clock. And that's the easiest way to have sustained success in the NFL because if you run a system like the Rams and then a team breaks your system like the Niners did... I mean, what did what the Niners do last night? Just run the ball right at Aaron Donald. doesn't matter. He can't do anything. But on the other side, you just don't let them get... What do the Rams do? They only throw deep on second and two. They don't throw deep on third and 10. They can't convert third
1: and 10 because Jared Goff can't do it. He can only convert when they're rolling. He can't when they're not. Jared Goff uh, confirmed everything I've ever said about Jared Goff last night. Yeah, I'm on your side now on this. But, but you know what I'm saying, though? Yeah. It, it, when you run these systems and...
0: I mean, let's let's be real. Teams like the Browns, even the Vikings, to a certain extent, the Colts, but they're running the wrong system for what they have personnel-wise. The Raiders, the Rams, they all run systems, and that's why it's so feast or famine. Because when the system's rolling, you are going to put up twenty-eight
1: to thirty-five points. When it's not, though,
0: you look awful. Whereas the Bears, you can look awful all the time and
1: still win. Um, The 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 Bears are really good defense, and they're going to. I am I am elevating them to the second best team in the NFC. One North, excuse me, NFC North. Uh, <laughs> over, Bold move over the Minnesota Vikings. Finally, I will do that. But I, I, they haven't played. Have they played each other yet? Minnesota no. Chicago? No. I mean, I, I'm, I'm. I would stay way away from that game. Here's my thought: Dude, of, I'm never watching the Vikings again. No, no, no. That's. I did
0: I, this. Is a true statement. This is a true statement. I did not watch a second of the Vikings game. Excellent on oh, you know, Sunday. You and everybody
1: else. I just I. I I couldn't even, I couldn't even. Here's the thing. Uh, I want to talk about this Green Bay Tampa game. The Green Bay Packers are up 10, was it 10 nothing in this football game. Aaron Rodgers is doing the McCringleberry dance, which was glorious, glorious. And then it all fell apart. He throws his first interception of the season, which ain't just an interception. It's a pick six and a bat. I mean, that's on Aaron Rodgers, period. End of story terrible on you know somebody they, they tricked him or whatever but they got him the next one is like a, a, a tip you know through Devonte Adams hands tried to sneak it in there didn't really work out intercepted not a pick six but down to the three and effectively a pick six so two I mean essentially two defensive touchdowns I mean they got it down to the two-yard line and punched it in two interceptions and three pass attempts after not having an interception the whole rest of the way he did not turn the ball over again but let me tell you something uh, that Tampa Bay defense, whatever they ate for breakfast and whatever they had to do to get rolling the way that they did, they housed the Green Bay Packers offense and Aaron Rodgers in particular in particularly, and, and Dominick and Sue obviously was uh, working on the bad blood he's got for 12 and came back there and was just wrecking, and that was an ongoing conversation that I found interesting throughout. But more than that, I mean, Levante David just living in the backfield, doing whatever he wanted, and there were no answers. And this is a team that has to be very good offensively because I actually think they're better defensively than people give them credit for, the, the Green Bay Packers, yeah. but they're still only okay. Like they're, they're 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 a decent defensive team, but you can't just give it up like that to 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 a Tampa Bay team. And this is the team, this is the Buccaneers team right here that everybody has been talking about throughout this whole offseason with Brady and you get Gronk, he scores a touchdown in this football game, and that defense going, Hey, don't look now, but the, the Bucks defense is actually where they're going to make their, hey, Chris Godwin comes back and he is making it happen. And I'm telling you, man, when that team is clicking, they are the real deal. I don't know for the life of me, I cannot make heads or tails out of who's the best team in the NFC. I think it's wide open. I think there's about six teams that I could say that I can make an argument are the best team in the NFC. I think there are, I think, Though the three or four best teams in football are all in the AFC. I agree with that. That's where I'm at right now with this thing. I I think the NFC is wide open. But if a team can really come together and figure it out, it's great. Now, do I think that this is like, see, I told you so about Green Bay. They haven't played anybody. They've only been beaten passies, and now when they play a real team, they stink. No. This was a, you know, it's a one-game sample size. It went the wrong way. Bruce Arians beat Matt LaFleur. You talk about systems. Bruce Arians' defense, even though he's the offensive guy, you know, they went in there and they just took names. You know, with with the Green Bay offense, so I give them all the credit in the world. If they were to play this game ten more times, I don't think you'd have another thirty eight ten football game in there. So I'm not I'm not ready to write anybody off, but I think that this was evidence of what Tampa can be. The thing
0: that's always worth remembering when you're analyzing the NFL, betting the NFL, you know, arguing about the NFL, whatever. We've seen this now because we've been doing so much NFL. Because I know everybody's loving it that it's back and it's happening, but also because we were doing our Make It Rainy podcast with Sean Rainy over at SWX Montana,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you check that out. We'll record another one this week. So we've been picking each and every game.
1: Great job. We get that in
0: there. the. But uh, when you're really picking every game, then you realize when there are real true upsets, and there really wasn't any upsets for the first I would say like four weeks of the year. It was pretty much like you had know, games that were closer than you thought. I guess the Jags beating the Colts Week One was an upset, retrospectively. It is now, yeah. yeah, but really, it was kind of chalk. But here's the thing: you always got to remember about the NFL is you could never put too much stock into one game because when when the train starts moving the wrong direction for you, you can just get trucked in the NFL. And it doesn't mean you're that much like Tampa Bay is not three scores better than Green Bay. Right? They, they just they had all the momentum and they just trucked them. So.
1: I want can I make a point on this point a- absolutely everybody sits here and goes okay Green Bay they lose the game by a lot they yep. get, they look terrible they get housed yep it's an anomaly the exact same things hap- thing happens to the Cleveland Browns mm. and it's see I told you so mm-hmm. and look If anybody's earned the benefit of the doubt, it's Green Bay and it's Aaron Rodgers. And if anybody has not earned it, it is the Cleveland Browns. And you can tell me all day long and you're right. The only two teams they've played are Baltimore and Pittsburgh, who they have lost a collective, what is it, 76-13 to to those two teams, okay? They beat a terrible Cincy team, a terrible Washington team, a you know, who, what are they Dallas team and their best win is Indianapolis who I'm still trying to figure out if they have any idea what they're good at. Cause I know, but I don't think they know. So you can say that (laughs) all day and it's, and it's all true. But what I'm saying is in the league, man, one and done scenario in the playoffs, it's a one and done scenario every week. Is a one and done scenario for seventeen weeks all the way through because we it it, it can go sideways for any team at any time. Is Tampa better than than Chicago? Well, they, they just lost to Chicago. They are they, yes, but they are better. That's my yeah, point. Right, but right, they right, lost. right, 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 right. So, but
0: this is this is where the individual matchups of the NFL are become so paramount because if you're the Bears, the only way you're going to beat the Bucks is to exploit your absolute number one advantage in that game. And that's that Tampa Bay has a second-year tackle and a rookie tackle. So what do you do? You make sure that Khalil Mack follows Tristan Wirfs around the field the entire game. And that's what they did. And Khalil Mack had an absolute heyday. It's the same thing that Tampa Bay did yesterday, though. David Bakhtiari goes out. What do they do? They move suit to end. Mm-hmm. And they just destroy the backers. They couldn't do anything. The Packers couldn't run the ball. No play action for Aaron Rodgers. Nothing. But here's the thing. I was, I was saying, you know, I haven't been that impressed with Tampa yet. You could tell they turned a corner a little bit on offense yesterday, but that was completely the secondary story. When you really break it down, and you really break down what they're doing on defense, I think they have the absolute best pair of inside linebackers of young inside Ooh. linebackers in the in the National how Football League. There you go. David and Devin White are an unbelievable pair. Yes, that's the future of football. Two dudes. They're not big. They're both six foot, two hundred twenty-five, two hundred thirty pounds, but they run like the wind. And that's what it is. When you don't have to sub ever, like you can put those guys
1: anywhere. Yeah, I De- think David's a little bigger than that, and he can still run. I mean, he's he is a house six wrecker. one
0: six one. Two Two thirty three. Okay, and Devin White is six foot two thirty five. Yeah, but that's it doesn't. It doesn't it, matter how big they are, man. They both run four four. So you can straight up play them at nickel. You can play them off the edge. They were blitzing David up the
1: middle on the outside. No, no answer. No answer. I mean, David Levante
0: pattern. David truly. I mean, it's probably. He's probably Bobby Wagner than Levante David, man. As far as inside linebackers in the league, he's that good. I I thought he was amazing yesterday.
1: The uh, this this whole narrative that has gone where linebacker has become the least important position in in NFL defenses uh, is is it is a lie. It's not true. What it is, is it's only true depending on what you got. If your linebackers are just traditional linebackers, you can kind of cover them up. But if your linebackers are Levante, David, and Bobby Wagner, it might be the most important defensive position. Certainly one of them. See, see, the the breed of... Like Bobby Wagner is one of the last of a true dying
0: breed, a guy that plays true Mike in a 4-3 system. And he's responsible to go tackle to tackle, but he's also sometimes responsible to guard the middle of the field and pass coverage. But like what you'd imagine as linebackers like Brian Erlacher or Ray Lewis or guys like Mike Singletary or guys from the past, you know, Greg Lloyd, that position doesn't even exist in the NFL mm. anymore. More than half the teams run three fours. So then when you're running a 3-4 defense, that's why I always call it inside linebacker, not middle linebacker, because Levante David and Devin White play a way different position than Mike. They play Mike and Will, but it's in a 3-4 scheme. So now when you're Levante David, you, you're you like a hybrid safety almost. Sometimes you're guarding a tight end across the middle. Sometimes you you can blitz. Sometimes you come off the edge, and that's the whole thing. What you're saying is 100% true. You, there's so many good linebacker, inside linebackers in the league. My brother and I were having this discussion yesterday. For Grizz fans out there that are wondering why didn't Dante Olson make it to the NFL, and he's on a practice squad now, and I really hope he gets an opportunity to cut his teeth on special teams. This is not about Dante Olson, though. The fact that twenty-one teams in the NFL are running three fours, you gotta being six-three, two hundred and forty, like Dante Olson doesn't get you anywhere. You gotta run like Devin White. That's what it is in the NFL now, and that's why teams like the Steelers and the Titans and the Bucks. Are so good on D because they don't have to take those guys off the field ever, and it gives you such a matchup advantage.
1: It's 2 Tell New Wantas, 1029 ESPN Radio. NFL. That was fun. Let's talk a little bit of MLB baseball. The Dodgers, a remarkable 4 3 win. They won three straight after being down three games to one in the NLCS. They are going to the World Series. They will take on the Tampa Bay Rays. This is as good as it gets to talk about that, (laughs) actually. Just when you think the tide's starting to turn, Patrick Mahomes throws a one-footed, one-leg kick back across his body, 25-yard completion to Travis Kelsey, and the uh, drive continues. Kansas City, Kansas City is down in this. Excuse me, is winning this football game, 23-17. They were up 23-10. The Bills scored a touchdown, kicked off, and now, after just picking up a first down, the Bills forcing a turnover. The lead of it was. Clyde Edwards or Alaire, whichever one. I'm not sure yet. Uh, and the Bills have the football on the Chiefs' 30-yard line. Now, it looks like maybe the knee's down. So, they are review the turnover, maybe Kansas City ball. But nonetheless, 23-17, six-point game. Is the rain really starting to fall there in uh, western New York, Coulter, on a Thursday night edition of Monday Night Football? No, a Monday night edition of Thursday Night Football. Right. The Monday Night Football game, which I'm looking forward to, Cardinals Cowboys coming up on ESPN. Who you got in that days. one? I got the cards. I got the cards all day. Um, the NLCS was uh, uh, I thought just a riveting one for the Dodgers to go down three games to one for uh, you know Kershaw to lose his start uh, and. I know that he was sort of injured. He missed... I mean, he was supposed to be the starter in Game 2. He didn't. He ended up starting Game 4. They lose that that baseball game and go down three games to one to a, a very talented, young, exciting Atlanta Braves team. But then just find a way... And you know why, unquestionably to me, the Dodgers are going to the World Series? Because there were no off days. They played mm-hmm. seven games in a row, and the Dodgers... Everybody thinks it's the best team in baseball. They may well be, but no question, they have the most depth of anybody in baseball. That's the truth. And they absolutely I hope so. for two
0: hundred and thirty-five million. Well,
1: right. I mean, you know what? But the Cubs spent close to that and got about four dudes. In any case, uh, the the Dodgers last night down two nothing early, then tied it, then went down three two, then tied it, and then in the seventh inning, Cody Bellinger good morning good afternoon and good night on a just no doubt bomb well when the guy smokes it so hard that he just grabs his baseball bat and just looks at it for a little while i mean he's walking up the thing but it's not you don't need to run you don't need to check you don't need to see because you know what's happening and he uh he rounds the bases goes up four three the dodgers great closing uh performance last night and uh, end up shutting out the Braves the last four innings of the baseball game and moving on now I thought it was I thought it was great thought it was tremendous drama super fun baseball game and I can't wait for the Dodgers Rays series which I am I'm really I like both these teams a ton Bellinger comes around scores what turns out to be the game-winning run the first lead of the game for the Dodgers here in the seventh inning of game seven and in a series they were down three one you understand the emotion the excitement Baseball players, when they hit home runs, become four year olds. Meh, eight year olds, maybe. I mean, they're just children in celebration and they got the dances and they got the, you know, the water and the seeds and the, you know, the put the crown on and the whole thing. Bellinger does the forearm to forearm five. You know what I'm talking about, Coulter? Yep. Dislocates his shoulder or knocks his shoulder out of socket. And immediately when he did it, I could see, I was like, I couldn't see it in the shoulder, but I could see he was in pain. I'm like, he just injured himself with the like forearm, the forearm shiver. Like, what do you think is going to happen when two professional athletes who who works on their forearms more than baseball players? Right. You know what I mean? They're just out there squeezing to the deal. What do you call those squeezy things? Get the forearms all pumped so you can swing the bat. And then you just hammer each other with this thing? I don't understand it at all why you put yourself in that kind of harm's way because it just seems like obvious, like somebody's going to somebody's going down right here. Well, it was Bellinger. Well, fortunately, it wasn't overly serious. When I say dislocate, I think that's too strong. Like it, it popped kind of out of socket. It had to get put back in, but it's like, okay, it's back. I'm okay. Finished the game. In fact, made the next out, recorded the next out on a pop fly. Anyway, I don't really understand that. I will say, World Series, game one, tomorrow night. We'll have the entire World Series for you uh, uh, here on ESPN Radio uh, between the Dodgers and the Rays. I know you are starting to, you know, come back around now that we're in the postseason and stuff. What do you think about this World Series, if anything?
0: Well, I think that if I'm going to put my money where my mouth is or I guess lack thereof and stand up for my own take about what – one of the many things that has made me gravitate away from baseball, it's that the fact that the Dodgers have a payroll that's almost two hundred million dollars higher than the Tampa Bay Rays makes me want to go for the Rays as hard as you possibly can. Sure, I mean the Rays are a bunch of no-name teams and a bunch of no-name players. To for, for by the way, that's baseball's fault. <laughs> like <laughs> figure it out, market some of these guys. Right, <laughs> this is the thing that drives me so crazy about baseball, though, is that other sports they build buzz like like Chase Claypool right now for the Steelers he's getting all this buzz like you seen this Claypool guy what about this Claypool guy DK Metcalf blew up so far this year people that knew knew but then now everybody knows when you got dudes like Randy or Rosarina like give me tell me about this guy right like he's awesome i
1: totally agree here's the difference though
0: or or like the portly asian guy the 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 first baseman what's his name choi love him Cho-
1: yeah 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 young g sung g choi <laughs> so great he, he and he is great man he is an absolute ball to watch play
0: yes i know so that's what i'm saying is here, it shouldn't take until me watching Game Seven of the ALCS to start learning about these guys. There be should be some buzz.
1: What what radio station is the World Series and, and Major League Baseball postseason on? Ours, ESPN. What television station is the World Series on? ESPN. Nope.
0: Fox. Oh, Fox right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And and it's also been on TBS. Sure. Okay. What else do those stations have? I don't know. Everything else. Yeah. Right. The football basketball playoffs when it's on they got everything and i don't think baseball whether they're doing a good job marketing their sport or not what is every promo for the the, the promos during baseball are for football and granted you're going to get a world series promo during a football game here and there now that it's a world series or whatever but like the the you have to go hunting for it if you're a baseball fan or if you want to be a baseball fan. And it just comes to you. And it, to me, it's as much about network decision-making because they know where their bread is buttered than it is about, oh, well, they, they're they not doing a great job marketing their guys. Now, do I think baseball certainly has a little bit to learn about how to get out there and get in front of it? Yeah, I do. Uh, but also, you know, Rob Manfred isn't making the decision about... You know what promos are running on ESPN right, radio right. 24 hours a day right
0: but like you rapidly learn the backstory of Jimmy Butler when they're on a playoff run and you just naturally like him more you you, you just gravitate towards these good stories but if you're watching the games that is true that's true but like I don't know I don't know Randy Rosarina's story he's from Cuba I bet you a million dollars he's got a great story. No doubt. Somebody gave it to me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guess you're right. If I was, like, tracking it down, I'm sure there's a story about him, like, on the athletic or, up, yeah. or whatever. But yeah. so much of it is, though, is, is I mean, media... It's mainstream on down, right? There's not like a network TV baseball show. There's there's hardly ever baseball stories in like ESPN the Magazine or Sports Illustrated anymore. Tell and me
1: what you think about this too because I've always felt the call of a baseball game has been the most conducive to narration, right? The storytelling that happens in baseball.
0: Yeah, that's like I was saying last week. When I listen to baseball on the radio, what do I
1: get? Yeah, The stories I want because Tim Kirkshen can tell the stories. Totally, but I also think that because baseball is such a game of strategy and the nuance of the game, and it is that, I mean, it's cliche, but it's a true cliche about the nuance of baseball and what's going on there. I think that a lot of the commentators, the color commentators are super baseball guys. And when I listen to John Smoltz call a game and I enjoy it, I really do enjoy it. Cause I need to learn. i, I It helps me, but I'm not getting stories from John Smoltz that are profiles about guys. Every once in a while they go to a reporter and they say, Hey, you know, this guy, he had this injury and this is where he's at. But, in basketball right now, Jeff Van Gundy and Breen and Doris Burke, all they're doing is profiling players exactly, the entire exactly, game. Exactly, You know?
0: And, and that's the thing, man, is like in the NFL, the haters would say that the replays are exhausting, but it's also the thing that everybody, you can never miss a play because yeah. there's time between plays, so you see a replay of every single play. Every player, yeah. So Here's I mean, the thing that drives you crazy about baseball, though, is the the technology. If they never showed the stupid graphic of what the strike zone is and, like, here's the path of where the curveballs are going, like,
1: it just, I can't handle it. Well, the the paths I'm okay with, but the K zone has got to go. Uh, I'm with you a
0: question. I got a question for you.
1: Okay. You want to ask it to me after this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we're up against this. Quick break. Coulter's got a question. Everybody, stay seated.
2: blackfoot connect to more
1: and just like that it is a nine point game in buffalo new york Harrison butker chip shot field goal to uh give the chiefs a 26 17 lead 156 remaining in the football game a uh remarkable 3rd and 12 conversion that actually went for like 35 or 40 yards on that drive that uh, gave Kansas City the, uh, the opportunity to kick that field goal. The Chiefs were dead to rights twice in that drive and lo and behold, Pat Mahomes makes plays now they're up nine with two minutes to go and very much have the game in hand. It's Two Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. If you missed anything in the show, listen on the podcast. The podcast is available thanks to our friends at Blackfoot Communications. Rate, review, subscribe on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. It does not matter where. You can get Two Tell Nuanas. You can also get Grids grades. Coulter, leaving the break, you had a question. We got a couple minutes. Ask it. Okay, I, here's my question. So in the NBA, when. Is the question going to take the remainder of the show to ask? Just
0: just let me go. When the NBA, when the the San Antonio Spurs started doing their defensive rotations that were basically, when the NBA got rid of the defensive three seconds rule and the Mm -hmm. Spurs started running some, like, hybrid zone concepts and they went to this three and D model, shoot a bunch of threes in the corner, and then the Phoenix Suns started running their seven seconds or less offense, it was ahead of the curve. People thought it was kind of crazy. How do you win with it? Now everybody does it. Copycat, right? In the NFL, when teams started running any form of spread elements, it seemed ridiculous at first. Now, pretty much everybody runs stuff out of the gun. Everybody runs spread elements. There's all sorts of spread concepts. There's multiple spread offensive coaches that are, that are from college that are now in the NFL, right? And it seemed like there was a tipping point for both of those things where it seemed asinine to run at first, but then now it's in vogue and normalized. My question for you is, besides the strike zone thing and all these different technological infiltrations into baseball. The other thing that drives me crazy is that you got the four infielders standing like on the right side of second base, and none of these dudes hit it, the ball the other way. Hit the ball the other way. Like, if you're playing for Brett Hathaway down at the Missoula Mass, you're not playing for him if you don't hit it the other well, way against the ship. So why doesn't somebody do that, though?
1: I actually saw it for like the first time the other day. It was one... Uh, defender I assume the third baseman shading towards second between second and third and the other three all on the right side of the field it was like a push bunt it actually went yes. it was actually ugly went up in the air but got around the corner like a right. thir- third third right. base right and it was the easiest base hit you like, ever had like just do that
0: I, I I know that no one's paying money to watch you know Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt bunt but if they just did it Every once in a while, then all of a sudden, then the shift wouldn't be so profound, and
1: these guys could hit 350 because they wouldn't have to go against the shift. Well, and and you know if it's if it's no longer okay. I, but I you know what I'm saying? anybody. yeah, anybody. I, I'm totally with you. Like like if they ever shift against Mookie Betts, just lay a butt down. A ground out is is about an. An, a seven and a half to an eight out of 10 on baseball's action scale. And you can think that it's routine or whatever, but I always find it very interesting regardless of how it happens. A ground hit is like an eight and a half to nine out of 10. Now, if a home runs a 10 out of 10, that's fine. That's what you want to go for. But a strikeout is like a two, maybe a four, depending on how the pitch is or you know, whatever. Like it's it's an actual at bat is somewhat interesting but what, what the result of the at bat is the most interesting thing, and bunting to beat a shift, especially because it never happens, is great. Like just, just do it. I don't. I'm with you. I don't. I don't understand. I will never understand it, why that you don't. I know Mike Trout doesn't experience the shift as much as
0: a lot of guys, but yeah. he does get a little bit of it. But like, if I was him, I would just set the trend because he can already he can run so well anyway. So yeah. just like, start belying the shift and all of a sudden... I mean, you might get 10, 15 points on your batting average if you were able to do it. I
1: mean don't you have to be able to do it like isn't that part of being a professional baseball player that like you can bunt
0: like the fact that like some of these guys literally stand up there and truly the third baseman is standing a shade to the left of second base and everybody else is over here and then they just pound ground balls into the outfield that then the, it's just a routine play it's just so dumb to me well, i can't
1: believe and it and the other thing is i mean you got to know where the pitches are at least intended to go you can never You can never, you know, know that when a pitcher is going to miss his spot. But, you know, if they know that you're a left handed pull hitter and they got you loaded up on the right field side of things and then they're going to pitch you inside. Right. I mean, that's where it's going to happen. So get around on it. Get an angle. Push that thing down the third base line and walk to first base. I'm with you. I mean, that's it's crazy to me. To tell new honest. boys and girls, have a wonderful rest of your Monday evening. Josh Allen has just thrown an interception. This game is over. One minute, eleven seconds left. Kansas City up nine. They are going to go to five and one. The Buffalo Bills, after starting four and zero, oh will be four and two. Enjoy Monday Night Football. Cardinals, Cowboys. Who you got? Cards. Me too. Kind of an anticlimactic agreement to end the night on. (laughs) Boys and girls, have a great Monday. We'll see you tomorrow. It's 2Tel Nwana's ESPN Radio.